Hey guys, what's going on? It's David Avalon with another episode of Breaking the Guard with my co-host Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, we have a very special guest, uh, IBGF three-time Nogi Black Belt World Champion and ADCC 2019 bronze medalist Josh Hinger. Josh uh, is a standout athlete from Atos and a really interesting character to speak with. We go into a, a little bit of his backstory. Uh, Rob in particular had asked him about his time in the Peace Corps in Turkmenistan, which <laughs> had some very interesting and funny stories that he could share with us, especially during this time. He said it, it kind of reminds him of why he loves jiu-jitsu so much. We also talk a lot about mindset, about how he gets into the right state of mind to become a champion and to go into those tough matches. And uh, finally, we also figure out the origin story of his incredible guillotine. So if you're tired of hearing about COVID-19, this is the episode to tune into. <laughs> we only touch on it briefly for the first couple of minutes, and then it's all about jujitsu and mindset. So I hope you guys enjoy it. It was a very informative conversation. So go ahead and stay tuned. Before we get started, I'd like to mention to you guys that I'm offering a super deal. And essentially, this is going to be 13 courses that I offer from the Kimura Trap System, Black Belt Psychology, everything I've ever offered online as a course, which is like over 36 hours of content, plus a year membership to my member, uh, well, my membership site, FFA Coach, which has over 1,500 videos, new week, new videos every week online curriculums, very easy to search, all sorts of cool stuff, all at 66% off. So you're going to want to check that out. You can visit my blog, davidavalon.com slash the hyphen super hyphen deal. Again, that's davidavalon.com slash the hyphen super hyphen deal. So go ahead, check that out. Again, it's one low price. Uh, it's talking about $299 for essentially what amounts to $902 of courses if you purchase them individually. So it's an excellent deal. Go ahead, check it out. Hello, everyone. This is our second um, out, out of studio episode of Breaking the Guard. Uh, I am Robert Dryzo, my co host, David Avalon, and our very, very special guest here, Josh Hanger, one of the coolest guys in all of JJ, BJJ. Thank you, Josh, for being here. Mate, my pleasure. You know, I got a really busy schedule these days, and uh, I had to cancel a lot of things to make time for this. <laughs> yeah, it looks like you're in the, in the Coliseum. You know? so yeah, I'm hanging out, hanging out in Rome, yeah. taking advantage yeah. of all the tourists are gone, so. <laughs> You know, this is what I do because I can't travel, so I just hit pretend that I'm traveling. People are constantly nice. they're busy that they're busy, and I'm like, I know that's an excuse, but it's an excuse that it's on auto. Yeah, it's automatic to say I'm busy. Like you're busy, you're fucking home doing nothing. No one's busy. Right absolutely now. do it. Like I'm doing like two podcasts a day. Like people are like Rob, you got time for a podcast? I'm like, Dude, I got like all day for a podcast. It's, it's I got more than enough time. Yeah. <laughs> so like if someone leaves, if you send a text message right now and someone leaves you uh, hanging, you know they're just saying fuck you. You know, yeah. you know, they saw it <laughs> and they just didn't reply because they didn't want to. Very, very sincere times you got going on here. I almost have like a challenge. I don't, can we, because everyone's talked so much about this coronavirus thing over the, the past couple of weeks. 
I was like, is it possible to have a podcast without talking about this now? And I don't think it is because everything we talk about is going to lead back to the coronavirus. It's almost like mission well, impossible not to talk about it. It's so true. No, because it's, it's affecting everything. So it's hard not to, you know, it's affecting jujitsu, it's affecting business, it's affecting life, relationships. So it's like, it's hard to avoid that 10,000 ton elephant in the room at this point. You know what I mean? It's something else. I'll tell you though, I've been prepared for this for decades. I've been practicing social distancing before it was a thing. <laughs> I lived in West Virginia for two years where the only person I saw on a daily basis was my girlfriend. So I feel pretty comfortable in this type of environment right now. This like, reminds me a lot of points. my time. This reminds me a lot of my time in the Peace Corps. Like I'm getting flashbacks from my Peace Corps days. Wow. When I just oh, wow. sat in a, in a little Turkmen village for two years and I had no internet. Uh, I didn't want to socialize with anyone because they're super annoying. And I just read books. I sat in my room, I read books, I taught my English classes, and then I uh, just killed time all day long. And this is exactly what it feels like. Oh, wow. So, Josh, um, you know, let's go, let's start with that then. Let's tell us about your experience in the Peace Corps. Because you had mentioned that to me, but we never really got into it. So walk us through, um, you know, what that experience was like. What got you to volunteer in the first place? Oh, it's a, such a stupid story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I was in, um, I was in, I was an undergrad at, at the uh, UCI and I was studying political science and my emphasis was on uh, former Soviet transition into democracy and, and, and capitalist economies. Okay. Basically like how these countries came to be after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And um, yeah, I was, I was writing a research paper and I was watching that movie Shallow Hal. Remember that movie Shallow Hal? I don't think I've seen it. <laughs> It's like the guy, he's cursed, and he can only see people for what their personalities are. So when he sees uh, someone who's like a really terrible person, he physically sees an ugly person. And then oh, if wow. he sees someone who has a very beautiful personality, he sees a physically beautiful person. Like he can't see them for their actual physical appearance because he was a very shallow guy. And then someone cursed him. So he could only see people for the, the, the inside. So anyways, in the movie, the characters are in the Peace Corps. And oh, I was just okay. sitting there writing a paper and I, I saw this, I was watching this movie and I was like, I just started Googling Peace Corps. And I just started looking it up and I was like, wow, I can, I can go live in another country for two years and it won't cost me a dime. So I literally filled out the application and signed up right then and there. That's and amazing. then, yeah, it's so stupid. But the process, was that? I was just going to say like, it's, it's, what a beautiful place to be to have the freedom to do that, the youth on your side and the, the, the courage, right? To go say, I'm just going to go live in a random country for two years. And that sounds like, it, sound, it sounds like an amazing adventure. Like it sounds like yeah. so exciting just to think of that. If you don't have, I can't, I couldn't do that today, you know, but there's right. a time in our life where we can all actually do that. And not everyone actually has that, that, that sort of adventure. Right. And I was in that place where I was my last year of undergrad and I had to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And I couldn't decide on a career path. So this was like a stall tactic for two years. I could just like not commit to a job or a career or anything and just go see the world and, and kind of figure out what I want to do then because I had a lot of free time to think. But you know what I realized when I was over there? Hmm. I love jujitsu. That was the epiphany I had in Turkmenistan. Because I was a blue belt then, I had been training for two or three years. I was a good blue belt, maybe like four stripes. And then uh, 
and then it got taken from me, right? I had no jujitsu, no exercise, no training, nothing for two years. And then that's when I had the revelation that I love jujitsu so much that I never want to stop doing it ever again. That's amazing. And I think, you have to miss it to appreciate it, right? Yeah, and I think everyone's having that epiphany right now. <laughs> yes. And that's why it reminds you of the Peace Corps. Yeah, because that's, I'm having, I'm just like, I'm reliving that same epiphany. I'm like, fuck, I love training so much. And now that I can't do it, I'm fucking going nuts. You know, yeah, I, you know, I know. I had a similar experience. Like what I was telling you, when I was in West Virginia, it was the same thing. There, there was no jujitsu. Well, there was two jujitsu schools. One of them was run by uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Online Blue Belt. And uh, I forget the other one. But needless to say, the skill level wasn't really high, you know, so I just took the time to work on myself and I was doing a lot of my online businesses then. But I essentially went like a two year stretch without really training. And I felt the same. I, I thought, well, let me see what it's like. And this I'm already a, a black belt at this point. I've pretty much retired already. But still then after two years, I'm like, man, this, I need to get back into martial arts. You know? So fortunately, moving here to Vegas, and connecting with Rob. That definitely brings it up. But it's a good point that Rob was saying, though. You have to have some longing. You know, like, I feel one of the best experiences that wrestling gives you is you truly understand what, uh, well, you have a better understanding of what real hunger is when you're cutting weight for days, you know? Oh, yeah. You're starving and you're working. Like, when someone says, oh, I'm starving, and, like, they've never cut weight before, I'm like, eh, are you really, though? Yeah. Hungry. <laughs> you're starting to get hungry. Like, it's nothing. Yep. The thing about cutting weight, what makes that so difficult, in my opinion, is the fact that it's not that you're, you're starving and you can't eat. The problem is that you're starving and you can eat if you wanted yes. to. That's the hardest part. So you're like, it's not like you don't have food around. Like, you don't have an option. You're like, oh, I'm starving. I can't eat. I don't have food. There's nothing I can do about it. So I have to deal with it. But the problem is like, no, I'm really hungry. And there's fucking food right there in the fridge. And I just man, I could eat it, but then I'd have to, you know, cut more weight later. You, you know what was so hard yeah. for me? There's just no, you can't drive, you can't watch TV, you can't go on the internet without seeing an ad for food. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know how Facebook targets you for like what you've yeah. been talking about? And like, <laughs> it's like it knows you're hungry because you talk about food all the time. So it's like sending you like Wendy's and like ads and like Arby's and all this, this nasty food that normally yeah. it's not even touch. But when you're cutting weight, like Wendy sounds incredible. Taco Bell sounds right. incredible. You and, know? and how much hatred do you have for your friends who eat in front of you? <laughs> actually, I've actually seen people get like borderline get into fights over stuff like that. Like, Put that shit away, man. What are you doing? <laughs> over the fact that the other person's enjoying their life because, you know, they can't. In 2017, yeah. I was cutting weight to make middleweight for Nogi Worlds. And uh, actually, Kainan Dwarch was living with me then. And, uh, and he cooked, I, I had to lose like 16 pounds to make that weight. Jeez. And I was probably like three weeks into it, three weeks away from the tournament. And uh, Kainan cooked some lasagna in our kitchen in the apartment. And man, the whole apartment smelled like lasagna. Oh, and he had God. big fat lasagna on the table. And I just walked in, I smelled it. Lasagna is my fucking favorite. I was like, what are you doing? And I literally yelled at him. And he's, to this day, he remembers it. Like I was actually sincerely mad at him. <laughs> for not being considerate about my suffering. <laughs> well, there's something to have about like being hungry that makes you very irrational. So oh, yeah. Like, like your animal instincts come out and you become very I emotional see. over the fact that you want to eat and you can't. So the caveman comes out very, very quickly. Yeah. I think the, this, that the, our normal selves, that's not the real us. The real us 
is like a male who was constantly looking for food and doesn't have it, so he's constantly angry. It explains your aggression. It explains a lot yeah. of things. But back in the day, we would have been looking for food most of the time. It's not like open the fridge and there's like all these options. Back in the day, it was like you're constantly hungry. Like imagine the grind to be able to find something. So yeah, th- back in the day, they were cutting weight 24-7 their whole lives. Right. Fasting was a normal thing. Yeah, I would say also the other thing that makes people irritable is fatigue, which is what weight cutting also has, because not only are you dieting and you're really hungry, you have to train and you're exhausted. And usually people who are cutting hard start training like crap and and they get frustrated because they're not doing as good as they should be because they're tired and energy and it just makes you more irritable. And then someone's making your favorite food in front of you. Yeah, you're like, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Man, Angelica Galval has so many stories about me just just losing my shit in training, just start just angry and screaming and yelling and cursing. Oh, yeah. It's like a different version of me, for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the things you have to, like, I, I, I learned to realize that towards the end of my career, like, when you're cutting hard, that your performance is not going to be that good in, in the gym. And no. that's fine. You just, have, you just have to expect it. Like, look, I know that once you go into competition, it's going to kick up to a whole other level. I just need to stay alive and make it healthy as I can be to the ring or to the cage or wherever it is. Yeah, I remember actually when I, when I was competing in that same tournament, Nogi Worlds 2017, is uh, I, had, I met up with Dante Leon in the semifinals, which is the first match of day two. And I think he did something very similar. He cut a lot of weight. And then I remember that next morning, I ate the biggest baddest breakfast you could possibly imagine i just stuffed myself full of food and i had about three hours before the the match i figured it would digest man but it didn't it just mm. sat in my stomach like a brick and i had to go out to that match and compete with the, just a stomach full of french toast and sausage and eggs and i was out there just trying to mean dante we had a really tough match i don't know if remember if i don't know if you were commentating that year bro do you remember what year was it 2017 I know you did 18 for sure. I think, if, I think I started, I think my first year would have been 18 maybe. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't think so. Um, it was right after, um, yeah, this was only a few months after I won ACB. ACB was in September and then Nogi Worlds was in December. Anyways, um, I was talking to Dante afterwards and, and he basically did the same thing. He had cut a bunch of weight, he ate a bunch of food and, and we both suffered equally in that match because we couldn't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it goes to the adage. I usually tell people, however bad you're feeling, usually you can, your opponent feels the same way because right. we're all going through similar trials. You know, we're all dieting, we're all cutting weight, we all are nervous. You know, right. there's nobody that's like godlike and fearless or doesn't have injuries. Right. So that's uh, why I always tell people I feel I perform really, really well when I don't cut weight. If I go up a division, I keep myself five pounds under the weight class. I'm somewhere in the middle, you know, and I'm not cutting, but everyone else is cutting. So I feel amazing. And when I start competing with guys who are, yeah, they're bigger than me, but they're not as nourished. And I can feel them get tired. Like I can feel them yeah. struggling to dig deep for that energy. And I know that because I'm healthy and I'm nourished, I can push the pace on them and really kind of grind it down on them and, and make them suffer until they get tired towards the end. And then I went. Um, yeah, I know that's a lot of the strategies that I've used in the past were attrition, which 
because I came from my wrestling background. I wasn't a yeah. good technician. I was very simple. It was like underhooks and single legs, and that was about it. And I would always win in the third round. And it, what you were saying is it rings true. And I know you, you have a wrestling background too. Yeah, yeah, just high school. Yeah, yeah, same thing here, just high school. But uh, it, I would always listen to people's breathing. And when I start feeling, like, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, oh, you're in trouble, buddy. Now it's gonna it's gonna get worse from this point on. You know, yeah. one of the secrets I've learned from another wrestler is that he doesn't mind getting tired because if you're if you're fighting at a hard pace, you're gonna get tired. It doesn't sure. matter how well conditioned you are, but that doesn't mean you can't stop fighting anymore. You can fight tired too. And I know some of the this guy in my gym we call him Fantasma. Uh, he is better when he's tired and it doesn't make sense like when he's fresh he's not that he's not as good but when he gets tired his single is just super fast you know boom and and you're like how does he get better when he's tired and it's because he's able to push the pace on you and he has that same confidence that when you're tired that it doesn't matter to him you know so I, I know a lot of people are afraid of getting tired and they conserve energy and then they don't you'll see people coast and then they end up losing a decision or they just squeak out a win, you know, but like if you have that confidence in yourself that you know you can push past fatigue and just keep going, man, it right. opens up a lot of doors, you know, because most people are not used to going into those deep waters. Right. And if you're trying to coast, you're, you're grappling with a reactive style, right? Which probably puts you more on defense, right? Because the person yeah. who's pushing is the active style of, of, of grappling. So I think, and I've always thought, if, and you can disagree, but I've always thought it's better to be the active grappler, right? Yes. As opposed to the reactive grappler. I know some people have phenomenal counter grappling skills. Some of them do. Some people, in, in boxers and MMA fighters also, there's some of them, they built their whole career on being counter strikers. But I think in grappling, uh, I've always believed it's better to be the you know, active uh, competitor. When, uh, one thing that's going on too, like we were talking about this, the, the, the push and knowing that by the time we're both tired, it is a matter of the will. Like at that point, because I know, like I, I've always had in my head when the guy's breathing hard, like going back to what you guys are talking about, I always felt that, okay, I'm going to be exhausted too, but I know that I won't quit. I don't know if you're going to quit or not, but I know that I won't. Right. So having that confidence that at the end of the day, if we both break, that favors me because I know that I'm not going to stop. Right. right. Where I know, I think most people, they, when they get uncomfortable, something happens in their head. And I think it was Dan Gable that said that like cardio makes a coward of us coward, cowards of us all. Yeah, I've heard that. I think that it's a lot of, it's a lot of true because it's easy to be brave, you know, and aggressive when you're fresh. It's a completely different story when you're broken. You have nothing in you. Like, how can you keep your hands up? Right. You guys hear that binging? Is that me or? Is That's it? someone text me, and I don't know how to turn it okay. off. Okay, I thought it was me. I'm like, trying to keep it. <laughs> yeah. Just so everyone knows, it's not me. <laughs> I don't know why they are. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. That's actually Vince Lombardi on that quote. I think uh, got it. Uh, so I'll, I'll go back to Turkmenistan, right? So, so with the Peace Corps. Um, what they do is they, they offer you countries and you can accept or decline. So you don't get to pick your country, but they're going to send you options and you can say yes or no. So the first option they sent me was Turkmenistan. And I was like, and I told my recruiter, I was like, I want to go somewhere nuts. I want to see something. I want to see some shit. Okay. And he's like, I got the place for you, man. You're going to fucking Turkmenistan. <laughs> <laughs> and man, I'll tell you what, it was the most bonkers fucking country I've ever been to. And I've been to a lot of countries, man. 
it's basically like North Korea. Like everything about it is North Korea, except they don't have nuclear weapons or ambition to destroy the, the Western world. But uh, okay. crazy dictator president who will kill you if you oppose him. He'll put you in prison. He'll put your family in prison. Um, you know, they're super poor, but they don't have a lack of resources either. They have a fuck ton of natural gas. North mm -hmm. Korea doesn't really have very many natural resources. Um, not that I know of. I don't, I'm not an expert on North Korea. But Turkmenistan has like the fourth or fifth largest natural gas reserves in the world. The president just keeps all of it. So the people have nothing. They're dirt fucking poor. So, yeah, so I go to this country and, it, and it's so funny because they actually ended up putting me in a village that has a wrestling culture, like a Turkmen wrestling culture, because they knew I told them that I was a grappler and a wrestler and, and they put me in this very specific village. And once a year, this village would host a grappling tournament. Oh, wow. And they would, they would, they would etch out this big square in the dirt, like a massive square, like, like half of a football field. And all these Turkmen grapplers would go out there and they would put on the kimono top. They had kimono tops. They would tie some stupid rope around their waist or belt or whatever they had. It's kind of like Sambo, but they would wear shorts, right? Shorts and, and, um, and no shoes. And then what you'd have to do is you stand chest to chest on each other, like starting chest to chest. You put your arm behind the guy, you slide your hand under the belt and wrap it around and then grab the belt. Mm. And he does that to you also. So you're locked into each other with your hands inside the belt, like you're completely locked. And basically they say go, and the first person to pick the other guy up and dump him wins. That sounds oh, like wow. a lot of fun. It sounds like, like Turkish wrestling, right? Like they went with like oil and they put the hands inside the pants. Yeah, right, kind yeah, of. I think it sounds similar to me. Yeah, kind of. But yeah. they have the, there's no oil, it's just a kimono top in short. Grappling in general in that in Central Asia is huge. Yeah. I don't realize like how like people think all oh, the Russians and the Chechens and the Dagestani, they're all good at wrestling. But like, no, it's all Azerbaijan, Georgia, the, Armenia, the Kazakhs. Kazakhs, like all that whole region. They're so good. Not the just Kazakhs are tough. Uh, uh, freestyle wrestling, Greco-Roman wrestling, Judo, Sambo. That's why yeah. I have always said once BJJ catches on in Central Asia, those guys are going to take it over. Yeah. Because they don't have, I mean, they, it's, it's, they have a huge foundation. They have tons of talent. But it hasn't really gotten there yet. They have like only like right. a few black belts teaching. They are now where the U.S. was like 20, 25 years ago, I feel like. But I think that in 20 years, we're going to have a lot of like some of the best scrappers in the world coming from Central Asia. Man, so I Josh, was... did you do the, did you wrestle in that annual tournament? No, no. And I'll tell you, I wanted to, I wanted to but I didn't. And let, me, let me explain to you my thought process. I know. Okay. I bitched out. I bitched out. I did. Because, man... <laughs> I'm three hours from a major city, and that major city didn't even have a good, uh, a good hospital. I had friends who were working in the hospital that were also in the Peace Corps. And the hospitals there are not hospitals. They're shit. Okay, it's just like, a, it's like an empty building with, with a person who calls himself a doctor. Gotcha. And, uh, and man, these guys were, these guys, these Turkmen are big, okay? They're big. They're like, <laughs> Central Asians are big. They're kind of like, they're kind of like Cossacks and, and Mongols. Like they just kind of have that Mongol, that big Mongol head and they're just hefty, stocky people. And I thought, I'm, in, I'm, I'm eight hours from the capital of driving, eight hours driving on a shitty road too, a very dangerous shitty road with full of potholes and, and drunk Turkmen drivers. And uh, I just thought, man, if I break a bone, if I break my collarbone, because I don't know how to do that. I never, 
I had never put a gi on at that point. When I was a blue belt, I started off as no gi and fighting MMA. So I didn't have any idea how a gi or a belt worked. Gotcha. I just thought if one of these dudes dropped me on my shoulder and I busted my clavicle, I would be in a real problem. I would have a big problem. Yeah. But um, the family I lived with, they were like, Josh, go out there and do it. You know, because if you won a match, you got a chicken. They would oh, actually walk out and hand you a live chicken. You'd be like, boom, I got a chicken. Fuck yeah, I got dinner. And I thought, man, and it's not easy to get meat. You don't have meat every night. You know, a lot of times yeah. you're just eating rice and bread and carrots. And, uh, and the family was like, Josh, come on, go, go win us a chicken. <laughs> and I was like, man, I really want a chicken. But, or a goat. You could have a goat, too, if you beat someone big. And I just thought, fuck, man, if I can get dropped wrong and I break something, I'm in, I'm in a, I have a big, so big. So tell me that the chicken yeah. was not enough of, not big enough of an incentive <laughs> to break, break in a bone or something. That sounds like a good trade I'll tell you. I don't I'll know. Tell you, if I want a chicken, I can <laughs> buy a chicken. <laughs> I had a friend, uh, when I was in high school, actually, I went to the Jay Robinson 28-day camp. And at the time, I was privileged. They had Brandon Egham, who was a silver medalist. Uh, worlds i think and he was telling a story that he was in turkey and a similar thing the annual they they were doing some like uh, cross training so they were training with the, i guess the turkish team and then they would hold a tournament at the end outside on canvas and the winner of the tournament would get a goat and uh he had got to the finals of, i guess of this tournament and he was wrestling and he ended up getting beat by a turkish guy and you remember the guy who's some big dude grabbed the goat over his head he's like ah! <laughs> And as he did that, the goat just had diarrhea. Sick of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, oh, it's probably good I didn't win. <laughs> Don't lift a goat over your head. That's bad. bad <laughs> um, Josh, let me ask you something, man. Uh, you mentioned, I mean, that's an amazing experience. Like, I, we can, I mean, I, I like to, but I like to pick your brain a little bit as far as like your mindset for, for fighting in general. Cause I think that we all have all, anyone who is successful in fighting has, there's a common thread. There's some things that we have in common. There's some things that are different. Yeah. The recipe is similar, but it's never identical. That's my experience, right? Maybe you disagree. I mean, I'm, you know, how Dave, how Dave feels about it, but you were mentioning like the struggles of cutting weight. And I think that to me, that was the closest thing I've ever felt to death was cutting weight. Like I needed help. Like people had to lift me off the ground because I couldn't stand up on my own, right? That's how yeah. exhausted I was. With that being said, that was not the hardest thing for me. There were other things that to me were much more difficult. So I was hoping to pick your brain, like what were some of the things that you have struggled with in the past and still struggle with now in terms of your life as a grappler, as a competitor, or as a professional MMA fighter? Well, um, I used to get super nervous when I first joined Atos, um, and I would, I would go to comp a competition and I was, I would get really nervous because I had Andre Galval in my corner and I didn't want to disappoint him. You know, I was like, man, I'm here. I am representing this really awesome team. I have this really awesome coach in my corner. And I started mind fucking myself because I thought, man, if I don't do well, I'm going to let him down. I'm going to let my team down. And I think this is a mistake. To think this i think it's it's mm -hmm. it's false i don't think andre would ever feel disappointed you know in me or yeah. like feel uh, upset with me because i didn't perform well and that's i could probably say, say the same thing to you guys have, i mean would you ever be disappointed in your student for going out there and competing no absolutely i, I always tell people that that when it's like we have like a pre-competition talk and the thing we say is when you go out there to compete 
you've already made us proud because most people would never have the courage to do that. And exactly. at the end of the day, you're out there for you. You know, we're like, as a coach, I'm there to support you. You know, it's not the other way around. You know, I mean, you're right. not there to like, some people feel like, oh, they have to fly the, the school banner or whatever. Like, no, you're there for you. And I'm there to help you make sure you reach your goals. Right. So I, w- I would, and I know that now, of course. Um, but yeah, I would, I would get super nervous about that. And so then I would start uh, overanalyzing really stupid little things. Like I would say, oh man, my, my pec muscles pulled. I'm, I'm not going to perform well. And that would start eating into my confidence, you know, and start beating me up. And I would just, or uh, cutting weight, you know, if I was cutting weight, I would be stressing out like, oh my God, I'm five pounds over. I'm going to have to cut at the last minute. Then I'm going to be exhausted in the match. I'm going to deplete myself and I'm going to perform like shit. And so these things, these, these stupid little thoughts would snowball inside my head and I would let them build up to be something really big and cause me a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, luckily over the years, you know, I, I probably have like 150 blackout matches now and I don't stress over anything anymore. Like almost virtually not at all. I just, I, I don't cut the weight. Um, I don't let the, I don't let little things bother me. Like when I won Nogi Worlds in 2018, I was fucked up physically. Like I had all kinds of things wrong with my body. My knee was, was fucked up from my match with Lovato. I popped it really bad. I didn't have full range of motion. I had pulled the, the pec muscle here really badly. I had my ear was all bloody. It was all chewed up because I had a little cut that just kept getting bigger and bigger. Mm. Um, I was all messed up. And, and so then what I did for that tournament is I kind of flipped my mindset. I said, man, I'm a wreck right now. I'm a train wreck. I was like, I probably, I'm not going to win. I said, I'm just accepted. I, I accepted that. I said, I'm not going to win, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try. I'm going to try my best and I'm going to do what I can do and, and see what happens. Ends up being the best, one of the best tournaments of my life. You know, I got two submissions out of the four matches and I got a submission in the finals, which you saw, Rob. And uh, yeah, it turned out to be one of my best performances ever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that I was injured. You know, it didn't matter that I was messed up or, but because I had a good mindset that I could, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go out there and fight as hard as I can. And whatever happens, happens. And that's okay. If I lose, it's okay. You know, I'm injured. No big deal. I took, I I took the stress off myself by just understanding that I was so physically beat up um, that it didn't matter if I lost. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't devalue myself you know, in my own mind. So I just, I kind of released myself from this anxiety. And then I went out and ended up performing phenomenally. I felt great. I had a great tournament. And you, so you feel that the social pressure was something, cause like you were talking about the pressure of your teammates and your coach, that is like the social pressure, right? Like some, for some people it's the girlfriend or it's the dad or it's the friends or it's the coach, right? It's that peer pressure. Yeah. Uh, as far as pressure that you put on yourself, has there ever been any, any moment where you go, Either you're doubting yourself or you're insecure or you don't think you can do it or has there ever been like a moment where you felt like that and it changed i want to talk about the experience of josh as far as what does josh have to do to turn his mind because like you could, your body can be functioning your technique can be sharp but if something is not right up here everything else falls apart right 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 so how is it that you tune your mind to be so confident uh. It was a it was a long process to be honest. Um, it didn't just happen overnight, you know. And it really what I it helped have it for me. It helps having Andre Galvao in your ear because he's a very positive guy, and he would just constantly feed me positive um, energy 
always in my ear telling me that I'm great. I'm going to win. I'm going to kill everyone. And even, even for the ACB tournament, I, he was telling me, he's like, Josh, you're going to win. He's like, that money is yours. You're going to smash those guys. And I was looking at the bracket, like what? Like Patrick Gaudio is in here. Like Thiago Sa, um, AJ Souza, like really tough guys. Arnaldo, Izaki Bayinci, like tough guys were in that division. I thought, man, I'll be lucky to get to the semifinals. I'll be, I said, I'll be lucky if I get halfway through this division because everyone in that bracket was a monster. And he's like, no, you're going to win, Josh. You're going to win. And I was like, man, I really kind of, I, I, I wanted him to stop. It was making me uncomfortable. And then you saw what happened. I went, I showed up and I just wrecked shop. And I posted, actually I posted a picture today of that match because, um, because I, well, I was talking to you, Rob, and then I thought about that. I was flipping through my phone. I saw the picture and I was like, oh. Yeah, that was an amazing performance, man. That was a huge win. No doubt. I shocked myself. I didn't even expect. The point is you just never fucking know what you're capable of. And yeah. I, I, that's basically what I learned. It's like, doesn't matter what you think you can do you're you're capable of more like i shocked myself and so then i just thought at that after that tournament i just thought to myself man i i, I you shouldn't listen to yourself in internal that, that bullshit in your head that tells you like you're nervous or you're scared or you might not do well it's just wrong it's wrong it's just your insecurities so and i how do you stay in that mindset though because that's the that's the because like everyone can feel like that after a win but I think the tendency is for us to go back. Right. Like, how, is there a way for you to stay in the clouds and just feel like superbly confident all the time? Well, once I, once I realized that, that, you know, the insecurities that you have in your mind, everyone has them, of course. Um, and you even told me one time about your friend who's a UFC champion who would get super nervous and, 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 and anxious before their fights. You know, it happens to the best of the best of the best everyone is susceptible to it just because some of us don't admit it but it's it's in our minds and something we all deal with it differently but basically just what i convinced myself was like even if i don't think i can i can i know i can because i did right i just basically i looked back at the historical data and i think okay look at that one time i had i didn't think i was going to win it was a bracket of eight monsters and me and i did and i and i won in phenomenal fashion. So then I just understood that. I understood that no matter what I think of myself, I know that I'm capable of doing it because I did it. You know what I mean? I did it. So there's no reason to doubt myself. You know, yeah. it, it's basically like I, I needed some wins to build confidence and those wins helped me make more wins. And then I just understood like, okay, I'm capable of doing this. I, I know that I'm capable of doing this because I've done it before. So it doesn't matter what I think of myself, I can look at the historical data and see, oh, I, I'm, I did it. I can do it. So it doesn't matter if I doubt myself right now because I'm capable. So by yeah. the past, you feel that, you know, you can actually maintain yourself secure because that's a really good way of looking at it. Like, exactly like you said, like, I know that I can do this because I have done it in the past and that's factual, right? Isn't that what scientists does, right? Yeah. Scientists do that. They look at historical data to predict the future. That's science. Yeah, I see two things there also, because initially you had, like you said, a lot of doubt and whatnot, like everybody does. But that when you, we're talking about the worlds in particular, you had said uh, you had essentially given up on the idea of winning and instead you were just going to focus on doing your best. And I think that is a key factor because that's something I always tell all my guys that because yeah. 
competition is really about stress management, right? Because we all know guys are monsters in the gym, but then they go into a tournament and then they do poorly, right? or they don't live up to their expectation. And it's because they don't know how to handle the stress of competition because there's a lot of mitigating factors and pretty much it's all the unknowns, right? You don't know what your opponent is or what he's gonna do. You're not familiar with the venue, the sounds, the people, the crowds, you know? So all these things create stress. And one of the unknown, and all these things that you can't control get you riled up. And when you're stressed, your muscles are actually tensing and right. it's sapping your energy without you even realizing either, right? it. Yeah, your breathing's getting labored or it's just like your short breath, shallow, shallow breathing. Right. But the one thing that you can't control is actually winning or losing, you know, and you'll control it indirectly by doing the best that you can, but you don't decide the match is won. That's done by a judge or a referee because you could wreck somebody and then still get jobbed, you know, and they can yeah. give it to the other guy. Awesome. Right. And then, yeah. and then like, how do you, what do you do about that? Right. So when you make the goal, do your best, nobody can take that away from you. That's only on you. Right. So it, it is very empowering, you know, because that allows you, it doesn't matter who you're going up against. Because if I give you the, if I give a white belt the goal, I want you to beat Hicks and Gracie in your first tournament ever. It's a very unrealistic expectation. And he's going to have all those doubts swimming in his head. It's like, this is impossible. And he'll probably get crushed. But if I told him, just do your best. Well, I can do that. Right. I mean, I'm probably not going to win, but I mean, I can at least do the best and as a coach. That's all I can ask from an athlete. It's something that's within your ability. Yes. No matter no, what, no matter who you're facing, you always have the ability to give your best. Yeah. Yes. And some people think, oh, that's easy. No, it isn't easy because doing your best requires you first to prepare to the best of your ability, which right. is not easy. That's the most difficult part probably, yeah. right? And then also just giving your all, not willing to lay on your shield if, if you had to in, in the actual match itself. But the second thing you touched on also uh, was experience, right? And everybody knows like, oh, experience is very important. And it's because like you said, it's like factual to you, right? You can look back and go, dude, I've won the world championships. Of course, I'm one of the best in the world. Of course, I can beat anybody out there on any given day. And that's one of the things that like, we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast with my brother, but that's one of the values uh, I give visualization. Again, we'll go back into it because if you have a good visualization, I always say it's like recreating a memory or like in, implanting a false memory because you don't always have to go out there and get an experience firsthand. You can sometimes simulate it. And if you simulate an experience enough, it starts to become real. Right. It's, never like the, it's never like the real thing, but it's as close as you can get and you don't get injured. <laughs> so it is one way. So like we're all of us right now kind of quarantined. This is, this is a good time to start visualizing. You know, if you can't train, yeah. start imagining your next match or your whatnot and, and really put it into work. And you so know, we... um, with that, on that is um, I do a lot of visualization while I'm training in the training room. So even if I'm just, ha even if I'm just training with one of my friends or even one of my students, like one of the, one of the blue belts or something, I will visualize myself in the pyramid, you know, with, a, with an IBJJF referee standing over me you know, I imagine the clock's on the wall and I, and I keep track of the score in my mind. And I just try nice. to put myself in the situation of the tournament. Like, what would I do? I will even visualize that my training partner is Murillo Santana. You know, I'll, I'll visualize that it's Mateus Denise. 
I will put this, my opponents, my these, these people that I, I, I come across all the time, I'll put that image on my blue belt training partner or purple belt or whoever it is, you know, could be my friend, but I will pretend that there's someone else. And I will put myself in that, in that and I'll close my eyes sometimes and I'll train and I'll just imagine that I'm in a, a, a competition and I'm giving it my best effort. I'm not trying to give them any slack. I'm trying to crush their soul. And I will literally, yeah, visualize myself in the training room as if it's the world championships. Excellent. You know, and that's, uh, again, powerful skill to use that most people don't utilize. I know Rob uh, does it all the time in his class. He'll tell people, okay, uh, this is the last two minutes of the Mundials or the finals. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you, you'll see a lot of people, they just say, oh, whatever. It's the same round, right? And it's unfortunate. But the people who get it, they understand, oh, I got to turn this thing up as hard as I can. You know? yeah. So I, I feel a lot of people underestimate that. You know, when someone gives you a simulation to play, play it out. You know, don't half-ass it. That's the worst thing you can do for yourself. Think of right. a is role play, right? Like you, you have yeah. to really incorporate the character. Like uh, Dave was like, we, we were talking about a while ago about the uh, um, uh, mental morphism, right? So mm -hmm. he's taking a shot and he imagines he's a bullet. Like you have to be able to role play. You imagine you're a tank passing half guard. You know, you're a tank just like going, running over your opponent, you know? And I, I think that these, like these mental exercises, right? The one you're describing, I imagine you're going against an opponent that you have to be. That's fundamental, man, because it puts you in the state of mind that you will be in when you fight. And you need to practice that. You need to practice not just the technique, oh, I'm going to be in his deep half guard. You have to practice your mind being in the right place to defeat that position. It's not just technical. And that's what the, it's the marriage between the mental, the, the will, right? A desire to win and your and your reactions to your opponent's reactions and the technique. It's not just the technique. And I think that's probably one of the most important lessons for people to understand that so people don't get it because it's mental and you can't visualize it. It's very difficult to conceptualize. We can talk about it, but it's not something you can have a class on. You can just repeat right. it, right? And that's what makes it so hard for people to grasp is that they don't even know what you're talking about unless they have experienced it themselves. You know, like when you're training, you ever had like a really hard training session in, in like in, in the training room and like someone's passing your guard like super hard and they're just about to pass through and you're like, you're, you're kind of processing what's happening. You're struggling and you think to myself like, oh my God, I just want to quit. Like, or maybe they almost have a submission. You're just holding on by this much, you know, and they're, you're, the arm is stretched out or like the triangle's closing in and your, your vision's, you're just like a brink away from quitting, you know? If you quit, in the training room, you're going to quit in the competition. Exactly. You're going to. So you have to use those, those moments of struggle in the training room when, when your teammate or your coach or whoever is, is just right on the verge of smashing you or finishing you. You have to really dig deep in those moments in the training room, even though it doesn't matter. It's training. You're in the training room. It doesn't matter. But if you, if you practice stubbornness and, and, and perseverance in the training room, it's going to be much, much, much easier when you're in the competition and you have the adrenaline pump with you. So, and uh, it's just, just going off what you said is you have to practice winning. I say that a lot in practice. In mm -hmm. my, you have, winning is a habit. Not quitting is a habit. Yeah. You know, everything you do are habits, not just the technique. Like if you're like, oh, oh, I'll push it harder when I compete. I'm not going to quit when I compete. It's just different. It's the gym, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, no, you are reinforcing a habit because once you're exhausted, 
right? Your brain goes into autopilot and autopilot tells you to quit because that's what you've programmed over the months. Right, right. Um, I just had a thought too. Um, you know, when they say like, uh, if, if you, they say the referee gave two points or the referee gave three points. I always tell people, no, the referee didn't give the points. You gave the points. You gave the points. You gave the points once you accepted the position. If someone took you down and you, you sat down there and you, you accepted it and you closed your guard on them, you're like, okay, I'm on the bottom. You gave them two points. The referee just did the signal. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those things, uh, maybe a guard passes easier is, is a better uh, example because when someone passes the guard, in order to get the three points, the passer has to stabilize the position. If the person on bottom just does not quit bucking, if you're just bridging and bucking and bridging and bucking and bridging and bucking endlessly, let's pretend that you never get tired, okay? You just have endless car, you're, you're the Rotolo boys, you never get tired, okay? And you just go forever, you just keep bucking and, and the guy can never stabilize the position, he'll never get the three points. Yeah. You have to stop bucking, you have to stop fighting and you have to accept the position on bottom, then the guy gets three. And the referee didn't give it to him. You gave it to him when you stopped fighting, right? So imagine if you had endless cardio and you could never, you never got tired. And no matter how good the person was, maybe it's Hickson, maybe it's um, Marigali or whoever, you know, whoever it is that's on top of you, smashing you. If you never quit fighting and bucking and turning and rolling and, and, and flipping your hips, they would never get points on you. But we're humans and we have, to, we, have to do, we have to do a cost benefit analysis in our brain really quick when we're in a bad spot. How much do I want to buck before I'm exhausted? Because as we know, once you're exhausted, you're fucked. You're dead. You're not going to have any fight left. So that's why people have to kind of make decisions in the match. Okay, the guy's passing my guard. Like, how much do I want to buck before I'm completely exhausted and then I have no fight left and he's going to submit me? But I've always just explained to people, it's not the referee giving the points, it's you. And I think one of the things that I learned, especially from Andre, is that you can never accept bad positions. If you accept a bad position, and even in training, you're going to be likely to accept a bad position in the match. So in training, I try to never ever accept a bad position. I never accept a takedown. I will fight to stand back up until the bitter, bitter end, until the guy has to physically hold me down and restrain me completely, which is difficult to do, you know, at least for black belts, yeah. it's pretty hard to completely dominate them like a child, you know, like the way you can dominate a child, like it's very difficult to do to a black belt who doesn't want to be held down. Yeah, like for that to be possible, you're talking about the cardio like if you have infinite cardio this, and the, yeah. the cardio is it's great like if you could have that superpower right but that by itself is not going to get you bucking the whole time because that's not what gets you bucking to begin with it's the desire to win that's what right. people a lot of times understand the difference is like you can have all the athleticism in the world if you don't got this little guy right here willpower exactly willpower that tells you i'm not losing maybe some other day i'll lose not today Right. If you don't have that little voice in the back of your head and it's not something you can really control, man, like it's something that's just like sometimes it's on it, like no way. Right. And then that right there, even if you don't have good cardio, I would rather have that than be in amazing shape. I feel like because if, as long as you're willing to fight, it's super hard, man, when you're dead, when you're dead. But man, like you guys should keep going. You'd be surprised at how far you can push yourself if it actually like, you know, I'm not going to stop. Right. Yeah. If you have. The red line. I call it the red line. You got a red line, the heart rate. 
like it's yeah. like it's, it's like when the match ends and you literally feel like you're gonna die because you can't breathe. You're like, <gasps> if you one of my biggest peeves is like that just drives me nuts. And I think we, me and Dip talked about this before, but it goes like this: the guy loses the match, right? Loses, and then he has all this energy to argue with the ref, complains with his coach. You can see him pacing around. And I'm thinking. Right. Well, you're angry at yourself, right? Because you didn't leave it on the mats. Because if you're gonna, if you're gonna lose, my so philosophy is you should be crawling off the mats. Because if so you're true. walking, if you are walking and you're talking, you did not do enough. It's that. Yeah. I agree, hundred percent. Keenan says that all the time. Actually, he said, "Man, he's like, you need to walk off that mat, fucking exhausted. You, yeah, like you said, crawling off the mat. Like you shouldn't even be able to talk. And I even say this in the training room, Rob. I say this in the training room all the time between rounds." If I have a hard round and I go to my corner, I don't talk to people when I'm in training. I, I'm, not, I'm a robot, okay? I just show up and I work hard and I don't want to talk to anyone. And when someone comes and talks to me between the rounds, I look at them, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why can you talk right now? If you can talk to me, you're not training hard enough. You should be gasping for air and trying to suck that water down for, with the two minutes that we have for a break. If you, think you, if you can ask me questions about techniques, you're not training and you should probably go home. Yeah, that reminds me. One of the hardest trains I did was actually in that Jay Robinson camp, which is kind of sad because I was in high school, but <laughs> it's the truth. And they had this day they called the Red Flag Day, where the coaches would just I've heard of you. Through. They would just push you through hell. And particularly, this one was done after what was called the White Flag Day, which was a reversal. You put the coaches through hell. <laughs> And these people were not smart because they really pushed it on the coaches. They had a coach have to crawl under the wrestling mat all the way through. And that guy was not happy because I'll tell you, that's really tough. That's, that's sure dirty too, he, man. Yeah. I'm not sure how he did it. Like he was crawling under two sections of mat, you know. But the so, mat was rolled out and he had to crawl yeah. underneath it like a cockroach. Yeah. So <laughs> afterwards, he's the one running the training. And he gets to do whatever he wants. I'm like, you didn't think this through. You did not think the punishment through. Yeah. So we're wrestling. And I remember I was going as hard as possible. And they had me going up with a guy who was like the best wrestler in my, in my camp. And between rounds, I was hyperventilating. <laughs> and at the end, I, I, I was tearing because I couldn't breathe. But I was pushing super hard. And I, because I, I remember the, they finished the training and then they awarded me the best wrestler of the day. And then I was kind of embarrassed because I was crying because I couldn't breathe. I was like, yeah. I'm like, okay, thanks. I just raised my hand and look away. But it, it echoes the sentiment that you guys are saying that if you're not pouring it all out there, then you know, you let yourself down. You, you didn't push hard enough. And I think the problem is a lot of people, they get into, especially when you start getting dominated, it's easy to go into survival mode, right? And I think that's a very natural tendency, right? Like people feel at a certain point, if you're getting beat, just survive. Don't try to win or anything. Just don't die. Right? And yeah, you know, so exactly. That's in our, in our sport, don't get submitted. And you'll see people just shell up or they'll do this thing from the bottom of the mount. Cause like, this is not going to get you out of the mount. You know I mean, you're just going to be stuck there all day. Right. And I've seen, I seen a guy, you know, I was coaching him and uh, he got taken down and he just closed his guard, gripped on the guy's wrists and never let go. And he went six minutes and lost. The whole time I'm yelling, open your guard, sweep, open, do something. And he lost. And I'm like, what did you expect was going to happen? You're done, but do the whole time. The guy just had to coast, you know? Yeah. 
but it's like some people that that switch to survival goes too too quickly and to me that's a bad tendency to have you know like right. in a competition there's no survival mode there's just win or lose right and like if you if you survive you lost you know but you I, have to I'm, go out sorry go ahead yeah so like and what you were saying too more important is is doing that in the training room because at least in the training room the consequences aren't that severe i could i know some people especially if you're doing mma there, there's more consequences you could get knocked out or you know sure. the things are steeper sure. I, I still feel you should be doing the same thing but i get it but like you know if you're in the training room there's really no consequence pour it out like you said like just die on the mats every day yeah. because uh, i know like you since what you're describing there you must have that confidence and you're training with a tough team. You know, you got guys, Andre Galvao. So like if you're, you're there and you're emptying it out and you're going to the competition mats, chances are nobody's giving you the type of fights that you're ha you've already had those gym wars. Yeah. So, well, luckily, luckily Andre is really, really good about pushing this whole mentality on the entire team. So if you don't show up to training with the, with a competition mindset ready to fight to win, um, you're just going to get smashed because everyone else is fighting to win. So um, if you don't, if you don't get yourself on that level, it's going to be just a horrible, horrible day for you. And to be honest, this is my motivation for, for not drinking alcohol, for not uh, eating shit food. I just, cause I know I was like, if I do that, I'm going to get trashed the next day in training. I know I'm not going to stand a chance against anyone. They're going to, they're going to murder me. So this is, I just don't, I, I take care of myself simply because I don't want to get fucked up in training every day um it's a good motivation yeah right so um yeah I, I understand what you mean it's like you, you're not fighting you're fighting to not lose that's what i call it yeah exactly yeah it's a huge always like a, um, there's a um a sports psychologist that i spoke to once and he should always say that you should always you should always train and fight because you want to win not to not lose i think it's like that's the mindset you always want to put yourself into but going in the gym it's very hard to do that because as much as you love your training partners, right, you still don't want to lose to them. You oh, still, yeah. Still yeah. Like, it's, it's a healthy kind of like brotherhood and competitiveness. It's difficult. Like, rights. I just want to win. But it's like there is like a preoccupation of walking in there and going, oh, I can't lose to this guy. You know, it's, it's bragging rights for the day. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it's, he doesn't have to say anything. But you know what he's thinking. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Every, and we, we kind of poke fun at each other too. It also is like, because um, Matt, everyone's so competitive, and and the whoever wins changes every day. Just because I beat Jonathan's Gracie one day or Ronaldo Jr. one day doesn't mean they're not going to beat me the next day. So every now and then, like if, if we had a, a good competitive round and I won, like maybe on the way out of the gym or when training's over, like someone will say something snippy, and I'll be like, yeah, but you know what? I submitted you today. But I know it's only good for the day. You can only brag for the day because tomorrow's a new day and anything can happen tomorrow. Yeah, I think everybody has those mental scoreboards. Even. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, of course. I got one today. Like, I'm telling you right now, I, I got a mental scoreboard with Rob. Because, yeah. yeah, because you beat me the one time that we trained together, remember? <laughs> and in my mind, it's zero to one right now. Josh you know, and Rob. for that was like, I remember like, like Damien, but he, he was annoying though. You would train with him and he'd like score two points on you and like he'd literally sweep you and he'd look up and go, that was two points. And then, <laughs> well, I'm like, fuck you, man. And like it, it turned into a war. Yeah. He would keep, he would keep tracking. I, till this day, I don't know if he was just like 
just in case you didn't know, of course I know it was a sweep. You don't have to remind me. <laughs> but I don't or if it was just like, a, like him like making sure that you knew that he knew it wasn't just random, you know, like there yeah. was a competition going on in his head. The beauty, the beauty of it though, is no matter how competitive it is, you can always like go eat, drink, I was going to say drink a beer, but we, we never do that. But like, you, can go, you know, have an acai with your friends, you know, you can always hang out and chill and it's not personal. And I think it takes a certain level of maturity for you to be able to do that. Now you see that people that don't have the maturity, like they will carry that rivalry off the mats and that's very unhealthy. Yeah. Anyway. You can't do that. You know, but I guess I think that if you keep that health, that's what brothers do so well. You know, David could speak of this. Like you always see when you, they're two brothers and they're close to being the same age and, you know, they, they, they're rival, they love each other to death. And you know that your brother is a person who's always going to have your back, but it doesn't yeah. mean they're not going to try to kill each other on the mats. You know? Yeah, my brother my, was my worst training partner in the sense that even though he was smaller than me, he just, he had a good number on me and likewise on him. So those roles, those MMA matches that we had together were always the toughest ones. But like you said, like, I love my brother and I would do anything for him. But it's, I wish I had a brother. I had to beat him. I beat him. You let him beat you. That's what you would do for him. You would never let him beat you. <laughs> but it's funny because people always ask, oh, who's better? I'm like, it depends what you're asking. Right. <laughs> you ask me, I think I'm better. But uh, now I was going to say that um, with the training at the gym i wanted to ask you one particular because i know you're very good at guillotines mm -hmm. is there a particular reason you drew an affinity or how did you, you get that that skill with the guillotine because I, I say it because i think it's one of the best submissions in the game in that it's very easy to learn the basics of it but there's so many fine details to master that take away above because a lot of people think oh guillotine is a garbage move once you learn the basic defenses but just like anything else, when you know the, the fine points, I, I've, I have one of my guys that I taught guillotine as a blue belt. And he went to Naga, tapped out a black belt under Popovich in like 90 seconds with like a specialized guillotine that he learned. And he's like a guillotine machine. So I always love it. So I, like, I want to get somebody from a totally different spectrum on your story in the guillotine. Um, so when I was a purple belt, I was living in Tucson, Arizona, and I was I was uh, the head instructor of a of a small beginner level jujitsu program um, at a at an MMA boxing gym. And um, one of the the best training partners I had there was a guy named Bo Tribble, and uh, he's from Arizona, and he was a, a high school wrestler, and uh, he's about super heavyweight, I would imagine. Um, and he had a badass low single takedown. And he could shoot it from like eight feet away. But he's so big, you know, <laughs> he could stay so far away. I'm not even touching him. And he'll drop down all the way to the mat and just rah, dive into my ankle and, and lock it up. You know, you know, the low single when you're right on the yep, ankle, yep, yep. where your elbow is touching the mat. And he would shoot this takedown on me every single day. And then when he got on top of me, it was a nightmare because he's big and strong. And um, so he would just keep shooting those on me. And all I could do is I would drop to my butt, put my chest over the back of his head and scoop up his chin and just hold on because I can make him back up if I did that. So instead of like accepting the takedown, I would counter with this, this guillotine chin strap grip and uh, it would make him back up and then I could get back to my feet hopefully or at least get to a good position. And then what ended up happening is I start, I start trying to do the 10 finger guillotine to him when I was in that position. And then he would start turning and flailing and flopping around. So I would just literally just, because he's so big, I would hold on to him and just kind of roll with him. 
and we just get into these tumbles and, and he would spin and roll and, and I got really good at just holding on to it for a long time until my forearms were smoked and burnt out. And, uh, and then eventually I would just build on it and I would start attacking him more with it and, and, and submitting him with it sometimes. And sometimes he'd back away and it just ended up being the best counter that I could, I could throw at him whenever he would shoot that single leg on me. And, I, and we basically were the, we were training partners for probably three years together. And, and he was the best guy that I had to train with. And, and cause it was kind of isolated there in Tucson and jujitsu politics didn't really allow for cross training and, so we just kind of, and so basically it was him and I were, were blue and purple belts and everyone else was a white belt. So we just beat the shit out of each other every day for three years. And, uh, and to this day, he's still one of my best friends. Uh, he lives in Phoenix and he's still training. And, uh, and I always credit him with it because he was like the co-creator of my hanger team because, <laughs> because of his low single. And I just had to, I had to adopt, adapt. What this reminds me of, like I always describe these, like these training partners of ours like, like it's an arms race there's uh, yeah there's that's how i describe these relationships right literally literally an arms race well that's <laughs> with like i have to have for me to be successful i have to have a thousand training partners and they all have to be good otherwise they can't be successful and i was like i need two i need two like maybe three and i can i'll be fine with one because to me what uh, what have trained with the same people over and over is actually an advantage a lot of people like don't like yeah. it no, it's going to be the same stuff all the time. But that's I know exactly where you're going with it. Because that's how you create the arms race. I block your guillotine, which forces you to better your guillotine, which yep. forces better defense and so on. I'll give you an example. I developed a Doris training inside Lucas Lecce's half guard. That's where it came from. I could not pass his half guard. What are you going to do? You can't pass. Yeah, yeah. Only person, person to pass was like Rodolfo. And that was like later in Lucas's life. And then like Mirigali after that. But same thing. Lucas was older. It wasn't the same guy. You know, but back in the day, no one could pass. Shundi Ribeiro couldn't pass Lucas's half guard, right? right. So what do you do? You go, you, you got to create something. That came from the fact that I was training with them every day and we reached a stalemate and I had to think of new ways, right? So I think that people undervalue these arm races with training partners and they should look at that. That should be reason for joy. You should be happy that you have someone that blocks your best move because that should not be a reason to quit and say, oh, I can't pass this guard because of this, it should be a reason to go, what else can I do that I'm not doing that would, you know, elevate this game, right? And you would be doing him a favor by beating him there because that's going to improve on their game, right? And, like, going back to the brotherhood thing, that's exactly who that person is. That person is your brother on the mat. Like, I don't have a, a Marcos Avalan in my life. I've never had that. Like, I, but I've had training partners over the years that I would go to war with every day, sometimes four or five rounds because I had no one else to train with. And I'd be training with the same person. I'll give you an example. I had one training partner of mine in Brazil. His name is Arlindo Neto. He has, to this day, the best lasso guard I've ever seen. And since he was a blue belt to today, if he gets your sleeve, you cannot pass. No one passes, right? I don't get worried in the lasso. People put me in the lasso, even when Felipe does. I'm like, I'm so comfortable there. Because, like, I have memories of being in the lasso as a blue belt for all, you know, the whole practice. And it made me so comfortable. It made my defense pretty good, right? So, for the record, having the same training partner could be, you have to turn that into an advantage. It's not something bad. Yeah, I think that's a great point you bring out. And I know a lot of people, not everybody is privileged to be able to train with black belts, or let alone, like, very competitive gyms. And they think, oh, I'm at a disadvantage. But I always bring up the example, like, look at guys like Fedor. 
who was he training with? Like, nobody knows who he was with. He's probably the same dudes that he's always training with. But it's like you're saying, that arms race is, is so important. Because if you just think about it from, like, an evolutionary standpoint, like, if you keep facing different enemies that have no idea about your tool set, it's really easy to defeat them. Yeah, for sure. So you, you don't get, like, I know because when I was traveling and I would do, like, open mats, like, I would just Kimura trap everybody. <laughs> it was just, like, it was, like, super easy. It, was very, it wasn't very competitive, like, because nobody knew what was going on. But when I go to the same place, everybody starts learning the tricks and they start getting the defenses. And then you said, now the games begin where we can actually, all right, now you know our basic first line of offense. Now it's line number two and then line number three. So yeah, I, I agree with both of you guys. I think training with the same people is is usually better. It's good to have some external influences to show you new ideas, right? Like because if you're always training the same thing, like you won't learn. Like, maybe you'll never see someone with a lasso guard because nobody trains with a lasso guard. And so yeah. you need that exposure. But I think as far as improvements, you want to be training with the same core people who know your game because that's going to force you to evolve it it's like a virus that you don't have an immunity to. All right, you have to bring it up. Like, we, were, we were about to finish the podcast. We just I think, an hour. No, you're not going there. Not going about, you know, but I think that was impressive. <laughs> we managed to talk for a whole hour without talking about this bullshit. I'm actually really proud of us. Yeah, me too. No, I'm not trying to bring it up either. I'm not, I just want not to, at all. Not at all. I just want to throw it up there, yeah. But no, I have two training partners that I cannot guillotine. Lucas Barbosa and Nassar Loinab. Nassar just has an ability to, to survive without oxygen or blood. He just hangs out in there and like, <laughs> my arms out. I don't know. He's like an amphibian. And then Lucas, Lucas is just such a powerhouse and, and he's, he's kind of figured out the way uh, to survive and, and give me a hard time. Um, but because I have those guys, I'm able to really focus on working with the guillotine really, really hard. If I can guillotine them, I can guillotine anybody. Like when I guillotine other people, it seems so easy. I'm like, oh, this guy gave up so soon. Like that was, he didn't even fight. Like yeah. my teammates, they fight inside the guillotine. They've been inside of it so many times. They know how to survive inside of it. They know how to try to get out of it. They know the counters to the counters. And, but I know that when I put this on someone in a competition, they're not even at that level that, that my teammates are. So sometimes people tap so early and I just didn't even, I didn't like, wow, I didn't even think I had it yet. And the guy already tapped. But yeah, I've seen those uh, the the respect taps. I had uh, one of them in one tournament where I just threw the leg reap for the heel hook. I didn't even get to the heel yet, and the guy tapped. Yeah. I was like, "All right, phantom tap." <laughs> yeah, you see, some people don't know how far they can go. Um, they maybe they've never pushed themselves to their limit, you know, I, and they give up too easy. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's what you were talking about with, with training, that you have to push those limits, right? Yeah. But again, the thing that we can do in training that we can't really do in competition is that we can push them safely, right? Like, right. I know some people thinking, oh, Josh is getting passed out all the time in training. No, no, but like, you know, if you have good training partners, they know not to overextend, right? Like, if they get you in the arm bar, like for me, I'm just going to hold it, you know, locked out, you know? And if I can't get you to tap with the slow control, you know, that means I need to get better grips, you know? A funny story. Um, at the American Nationals in, uh, I forgot what year it is, maybe 2017, um, me and Keenan had to fight each other in, uh, in the gi. 
and oh, we fought each other no-gi too. We fought each other three times that weekend. I, I beat him in the no-gi oh, wow. division, and then the next day we did gi and he beat me. And then we went again in the gi in the open class finals. And um, he had me in a triangle arm bar, I think, and he was stretching, but the triangle wasn't there, the, the angle was wrong, but he had my arm completely stretched out and he was pulling on it and I wasn't gonna tap. And he, go, and he literally whispered in my ear, what are you doing? <laughs> Your arm's gonna break. And I was like, and I literally said to him, you won't break it. I know uh... you. <laughs> and he actually, I think I, he let me out of it. I got out, not that he let me out, but I think he gave up on it or he, he wasn't willing to break it. And I think it was because he was winning on points and he knew he was gonna win regardless. Um, but I literally, I couldn't even see him. I just, we could just hear each other and talk, you know, and I was like, I said, you won't break it. That's funny, you know, and, that's, and sometimes it's, it's something to be said about poker facing people. I uh, wonder if he would have broken it if he was losing by points though. <laughs> Or maybe like one pop, you know, like just just a little, <laughs> not a complete annihilation, you know, just a little, just a little pop. You're a kind person. He's a kind person. Yeah, no, he is. Well, we had this. Um, we had a on our on our podcast. We were. He was said. He asked me if because uh, we were going to face each other at ADCC potentially, right? Because we were in the same division. He ended up not competing because of that the EKC IR virus. But um, he said, "Hey, if we were in the finals and I had a triangle locked up on you." And you stood up, right, picked above the air, knowing that you can slam legally and that my neck would break and I'd be paralyzed, but you'd be ADCC champion. Would you do it? Fuck, man. <laughs> if, it, if it's me, yeah. You drop him? Who's the person? It's a friend, not a friend, right? Yeah, it was your friend. Yeah, he, it was between me and him. He said, he said, Josh, if I had a triangle locked up on you, okay, and you can pick me up over your head and slam me on my neck and break my neck and I'll be paralyzed, but you get to be ADCC champion and you have to do this because you're losing on points. Would you do it? And I said, yeah, you have the choice exactly. of letting go. Exactly. True. It's half, it's half your fault. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's for me. I, I, some people think, Oh, it's a sport. It's a game. I've never seen competition that way. I've always framed it as life or death. Uh, and that, I, I define that with people like the difference between what I call an athlete and a warrior, right? Where athletes playing a game and a warriors playing with life or death. Right. So I, I've always competed like I've, and I've been choked unconscious in matches. I've let my limbs get broken and shit. Like I'm going out there, everything. So like if it was someone like you're going to put my brother, I wouldn't compete with my brother. So the match started one of us will win and we'll coin toss that would be it because i get it i know that some people don't like that i'm like you don't understand the stakes that i'm playing at right you know, like so like you I'm don't want to this. injure your brother yeah so i wouldn't compete with my brother in a grappling match or anything in that scenario in the training room yeah i'll, I'll wreck house but i'm obviously not going to paralyze my brother we, we do closeouts too uh, commonly with autos and, um, and I know a lot of people have a hard time with it, but that's a good way to think about it. Like, do I want to break my friend's arm? And, and am I willing to do that if it comes to that situation? Because it could very well come down to that. It could come down to the last few seconds and maybe the score is even and maybe you have an arm bar and he's not going to tap and you have the option of breaking it. Would you break it? That wouldn't even win you the match. Just because you break someone's arm doesn't necessarily make you the winner either. If, if I, I never liked competing with friends for that very reason, because I would. 
Like you would break it. I, I don't like to compete with friends. I always just friendly, just go at it. And like I never, I've done it in the past, but I don't like, I've never liked to fight friends because I know that if it comes down to me hurting you to win, I'm going to do it. You know, yeah. and I don't want to because I like you. It's easier to hurt yeah. a stranger, I feel like. It sounds messed up, but it's true. Like, it's no, easier no. to okay. not to, whereas someone that you care for. But I I wouldn't even hesitate to. I mean, like, paraplegic, I think that's different. Like, there's, like, there's a limit, you know. But if I had to blow your ankle to win a fight, I wouldn't even think twice. Yeah, you know? right, yeah. It's horrible, you know, but it's it, it just means that much to fighters to win, you know. And maybe that's something that a lot of the spectators don't consider when they're talking shit online. Yeah, no, they don't. You know, they've it, never it, been yeah, and we're, I mean, the paralyzation is an extreme, but even just a minor one, like you said, like you bust an arm or bust an ankle. And now a lot of these guys are professional athletes. What are they going to do for a living now? They're, they're, they're off for a couple months. You know, if you got knee surgery, you're off for a long time. You know, so like the consequences for us in the combat sports are very severe. We're not playing like tennis, you know? Right. <laughs> I can imagine seeing like, like if me and Lucas ever had a match together and like one of us broke the other person's arm and then for the next two months, you got to see each other, but one of you is wearing a fucking swing, <laughs> you know? And like every time you look at each other, it's going to be awkward. <laughs> like, uh, sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. That would be super awkward. Um, guys, um, Dude, I, I'm having so much fun with this, but I my phone is blowing up. I got to go. I'm already late oh, for eating here. Um, hey, you know what? We can do it again anytime we want for the next month. We <laughs> <laughs> do this again next week, man. Like, wait, I'm sure, I'm sure that, uh, um, you know, you guys will have the time. It looks like we're on lockdown for, I mean, they're saying another month. I'm not that optimistic. I think this is going to go through the summer. And, um, but, uh and it is what it is, guys. Let's try to stay positive, try to stay healthy, try to stay happy, and, um, you know, try to learn and grow from this. I think that's – you got to – we got to have to turn this into something positive somehow. And, yeah, for sure. But, uh, Josh, uh, speaking on behalf of Breaking the Guard podcast, thank you so much. You're a dear friend, friend uh, on a personal yeah. level. I am a great admirer of yours. You're one of the great guys in jiu-jitsu. And, um, yeah, man, we, we we're happy to have you on. And um, we'll do this again at some point. Hey, I, I want you guys to make sure you continue working on those beards too. Don't let it, don't, don't give up on them. I'm thinking about uh, shaving. I'm like really considering shaving. I support uh, that, but let yeah. this go. It's either that <laughs> or a ponytail because I can't deal with this right here. It's got to be, it's one or the other. I would love hey, uh, one, one last thing, Josh. Anything yeah. uh, you want to plug or where can people find you online? Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys can, they can give me a follow on Instagram. It's uh, HingerBJJ. Um, you can follow my, my podcast. It's called the Matt Burn podcast. It's also on Instagram, the Matt Burn podcast. Um, if you want to check out our online store, we have a Shopify store, Matt Burn podcast, Shopify store, uh, shout out to Ta Tommy Fightwear, my, uh, my gi sponsor. Um, you can, uh, you can use the promo code hanger BJJ to get 15 or no hanger 15 for 15% off on the website. And uh, I want to give a shout out to Grappler's Guide because those guys are super cool. It's an online database. You, you, you familiar with Grappler's Guide? No, I've yes. heard of it. Yeah. It's an online database and he basically sells lifetime memberships for a hundred bucks. And, but what he's doing right now is his name is Jason School. He's on the East Coast. Um, he's, he's donating 40% of all the profits to all of his membership sales to struggling jujitsu academies who are having a hard time keeping the doors open right now. Hey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go. That's what I'm saying. You, hey, talk to the man because yeah, he's any any jujitsu academy that's struggling to pay their bills right now. He's donating forty percent of all his profits to them. 
um, to help them. So if, if anyone listening is having, has a struggling jujitsu academy and they're having a hard time paying their bills while we're all in lockdown, um, hit up the grapplers guide and talk to Jason Scully and maybe he can help them out. Great shot. Good stuff. All right. Again, pleasure speaking with you, Josh. Best of luck. Awesome. We're signing off here from breaking the guard. Take care, everybody. All right. See you guys next time. Thank you. Peace. Thank you guys for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as me and Rob did. If you like it, please, uh, of course, like, share, comment, share your feedback with us. We always grow from that. And if you want to learn more about Josh Hinger, you can find him on social media. His Instagram handle is Hinger EJJ. And he also has his own podcast, the Matt Burn Podcast, which is also on Instagram, which is just uh, at the Matt Burn Podcast. And if you want to purchase some gear, you can go to his sponsor, Tatami Fightwear, or, and use the promo code HINGER15 to get 15% off. A final word from one of our sponsors, which is DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. This is the home to Robert's courses, and he's got an assortment of them, nice bite-sized courses that you can dig into and learn and execute right away. His latest course is from Felipe Andrew, who, of course, was the number one ranked IBJJ athlete and notorious for his footlocks, his, particularly his straight footlock, which are IBJJF legal, and that's called uh, footlocks in the gi. Of course, it works without the gi also. But uh, if, particularly if you're a gi athlete and you can't do heel hooks and all the fun stuff, this is going to be the next best thing. And I think even if you're not a gi athlete, you're going to want to do this because it's a different way of applying the straight foot lock, which is arguably more effective as it sets in quicker and most people not used to this particular variation that he does. So go ahead, check it out at drysdalebjjonline.com.